Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now. Here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history this week on the agenda. Going to be having a chat about the Beast of Gévaudan, which was, uh, well, more or less exactly what it says in the tin. It was a beast, or maybe beasts plural, uh, that tormented the poor people of Gévaudan, which is a an, an old region, an old region of France in the south uh, south central France in the in the 1670s. It's not called that anymore. It's part of a different I don't know region. I don't know the, the, what they're called these days, but uh, it used to be called Gévaudan, and uh, it used to be tormented by this beast, or again, beast plural. Now, at, at at first blush, right when you when you read through the, through this story for the first time, it's got a real uh, like Yeti, kind of abominable snowman, Bigfoot sort of chupacabra type vibe to it here. You know, the beast was described as looking as a, looking like a half lion, half wolf, half hyena, you know, so three halves, 100, 150% pure beast, mate. Um, and some of the pictures drawn of it are just wild. So one of the pictures actually makes it look like a, a bloodthirsty kangaroo. So there's a, there's a real sort of like, oh, this, this wasn't actually real uh, sort of vibe to the whole story, but it was unbelievably a real thing. And despite the fact that we don't know 100% exactly what the story is, we can still make some pretty bloody good guesses uh, because it received a lot of uh, newspaper attention. The the, the press was uh, uh, developing a growing industry at the time and, and they were very, very interested in what was going on in, in Gévaudan at this time. And on top of that, and, and kind of as a reason of that, right, despite it, despite the Beast of Gévaudan not really being the most well-known event in world history, I'll tell you this, its cultural legacy has had a surprising and very weird impact uh, in fact, I'll guarantee I will guarantee that every single person listening to this podcast has heard of the uh, uh, the fact, I guess, in inverted commas, not really a fact, but the thing, the legacy uh, that emerged in the wake of the Beast of Gévaudan, as you'll discover. You've, you know a piece of information that, that was germinated, that generate, was generated by this whole story here, the Beast of Gévaudan. So the Beast or the Beast, they, they killed over 100 people. They had legions of hunters, soldiers, trappers sent after them. Uh, and uh, it ended up becoming an international news event, uh, even back I said, in, this, in the 1670s. You know, we, we, all, we, we love a good tale of horrible murder. Um, and even today, we're not 100% sure if it was just one beast or some kind of, you know, 
you know, collab between multiple beasts, but uh, we'll cover all that off a little bit later. Here's the Plansky. We're going to go over a bit of a timeline, talk about what the beast did and when it didn't and what happened to it and that sort of stuff, what the French response was. And then we'll go over all the different theories that have been put forward, covering everything from, you know, the boring and the sensible to the, you know, the stuff from the people who these days would be wearing tinfoil hats and talking about lizard people in a hollow earth and, you know, all that sort of good stuff as well. So let's get underway, have a chat about this beast. And of course, again, all the horrible murder that had perpetrated because that's what we're all, uh, we're all here for. So we're going all the way back to 1764 here, all the way back to a, a pretty tumultuous time in French history. The Seven Years' War has just finished, uh, which the French lost. King uh, Louis XV is having a terrible time. France has lost most of its colonial possessions in addition to this war, and the French economy is in the poop. And as a result of this, the quickly growing uh, journalistic press is heavily censored by the king. They don't want him. They don't want the pre- he doesn't want the press sort of running their mouths too much about him like that. And so the press are looking for other less political news on which to report, so you know they can you know sell their papers. And so. In the summer of, 16, of 1764, the perfect thing happens. There is uh, the, tale, the tale of this beast, the beast of Gévaudin, emerges, as I say, from south-central France. And it starts when a young woman who, uh, with a young woman who came back to, uh, to her village, she came back from herding cattle with an incredible story. An enormous wolf-like beast had attempted to attack her and her cattle before being driven off by some of the bulls in the herd. And not, not long after this report reached people's ears, the beast attacked again, this time actually killing someone, killing a teenager named Jean Boulette. And uh, this was unfortunate for Jean, of course, but uh, very bloody fortunate for the, uh, for the French newspapers as they had something very interesting to write about that wouldn't piss off the king. And so they picked up this sensational story and all of a sudden, you know, again, it really caught on and people were very intrigued, very interested and fascinated by, uh, by what was going on uh, with this beast. And as the attacks continued, the papers hungrily published any little detail they could. And here is where we get a level of certainty that this thing actually existed because there were too many common elements across too many independent eyewitness reports for it to all have been made up. In other words, too many people were saying the same thing without ever having, you know, got together to decide what the story was for us to doubt that it actually did happen. Now, there was a lot of internal variation, you know, in some of these stories. There was a lot of stuff that maybe particularly... You know, might was maybe a little bit further out there than others, but the core of the story remained the same across this entire region when people spoke to the journalists. And and because it was reported on so widely, we can say with a degree of confidence that this actually did happen. So this isn't a sort of, uh, you know, wild goose chase here. So let's talk about some of these uh, these common elements. For the most part, the beast was described as looking like a wolf, except much bigger, around the size of a cow. And uh, one bloke, well, as I said, you know, a couple of people who get, did get, they got to be carried away. One bloke, you know, said it was big, as big as an elephant, which seems a bit far-fetched. I don't know how many elephants were roaming around central France in those days for him to compare it against, but that was what he said. Um, but not everyone described it as lupine. Some witnesses said it looked like a long-haired hyena, while other, others claimed it was more like a lion with a, a thin, tufted tail. And here, I mean, here, I can give you, I can give you a direct report, right? Here is actually what was actually literally published about the beast in 1764 verbatim. Reddish brown with dark ridged stripe down the back, resembles wolf slash hyena, but big as a donkey. Long gaping jaws, six claws, pointy upright ears, and supple furry tail. Mobile like a cat's and can knock you over. Cry, more like horse neighing than wolf howling. In any case, what the beast, you know, looked like and sounded like, it, it, its attacks were regular and they were devastating. It would target people out in their own in the countryside and it struck terror into the poor people living in the area who, you know, had to go off by themselves and look after livestock or, you know, weren't, were, out, were, were sort of forced to leave the, the relative safety and peace of the, of the villages and towns. And what made it even more terrifying were the stories of how the beast uh, actually would kill its victims because apparently it would go for the neck 
and the head. And this led to some pretty colourful descriptions of the beast's attacks. It said it was used. It was said to you know usually try to tear out its victims' throats. Although one report talked about how it removed the victim's head and drank all her blood, which is a little much, I would say. That is that is that is a little you sort of you know you need to chill out a little bit here, the beast of Chevaudan. You you're taking a little too far there, I would say. Anyway, we'll talk about all that a bit later on. We'll talk about the reports, news reports, the you know the analysis, the uh, the report, all the descriptions, that sort of stuff. We'll talk about that after we've actually talked about the the timeline. Let's talk about the world of cold hard facts and continue to explore, uh, you know, the, the the sort of series of depredations of this beast here. Because by the end of the year, by the end of uh, of 1764, the situation is completely untenable. There's talk by then of, of the the possibility of it actually being multiple beasts rather than just one. Uh, the attacks are happening so regularly, some almost simultaneously by the sound of it, The people are, you know, going, hang, hang on a minute, how, how can this be just bloody one beast? There must be more of them, eh? Must be something silly going on here. And on the 12th of January in 1765, the beast made uh, one of its most brazen attacks, an attack that would go on to have very, very important consequences here. Because as I say, in January 1765, it attacked, it went after a kid named Jacques Portefin, right? That's not how to pronounce it. I'm doing my best. Portefakes. Portefin? I don't know. Anyway, call him Jacques. This young fellow, Jacques, right? He's only 10 or 11, and he behaved marvellously. He did. He was out with some of his mates, this little kid, about seven of them or so, and he rallied his companions. He fought off the beast several attacks there like that, these kids there like that. And King Louis XV, he heard about this. He heard about the heroism of this young boy. He went back to the village with this tale of having fought off the beast there like that. And to his credit, the king, Louis, he goes, look, enough's enough. We can't have bloody kids fighting off uh, great big, enormous, you know, uh, supernatural, you know, cow-sized wolves. That, that's not happening. That's not happening in my kingdom. No, I'm going to do something about it here. So not only did he give Jacques and his mates a tidy little stack of cash and for, for having fought off the beast, he also paid for their education. Including, and Jacques ended up becoming, a, you know, he was the son of a farmer or something like that. He ended up becoming, a, you know, a, he ended up rising well above his station as a result of having fought off, fought off this beast. So good on you there, Jacques. But that wasn't the only thing that King Louis did as well. King Louis XV also announced that the beast's days now were numbered because he was going to send the might of the royal French army after this this foul beast here. So this is just what he does. He deploys Captain Jean-Baptiste Duhamel uh, and a squad of dragoons, about 50 or 60 of them, to Gévaudin uh, in order to hunt it down and kill it. And I tell you what, Duhamel was nothing if not inventive in his pursuit of the beast. Now, obviously, you know, he did all the regular stuff, got on horseback, he you know, went around with the bloody, uh, you know, all the, all the regular sort of hunting stuff, the guns and the horses and the dogs and whatever else, trying to track it down, trying to do whatever else there like that. Uh, you know, expeditions, patrols, poisoned bait at some points as well, all, the, all that boring stuff, you know, <sighs> snore. Uh, but the funniest thing he did, right, he did take some rather creative approaches here because the funniest thing he did, it happened after he heard reports that the beast had been targeting women that were off on their own herding animals off, you know, in the countryside by themselves. So he then dressed up some of his soldiers as peasant women and used them as a lure for the beast because he thought, well, you know, if it's attacking these women, these poor women off in the middle of the middle of the countryside, I'll give it somebody to think about when it attacks one of my soldiers who's dressed up in a, you know, just imagine this, a grumpy, unshaven French soldier sitting there in you know, an ill-fitting dress with a wig all askew in his head sitting there waiting to be eaten by an overgrown wolf. Absolutely bloody brilliant. But unfortunately for poor old Captain Duhamel, uh, he didn't have very much luck at all. Didn't have very much luck at all with his quest. D- d- despite him having an entire military detachment with him, uh, you know, soldiers and trackers and scouts and hunters, the, the beast or the beasts uh, evaded him completely. You know, he had a couple of, uh, you know, well, maybe it's not fair to say it was completely, completely evaded him because he, he managed to spot the beast a couple of times, actually got a couple of shots off at the beast as well, uh, spotted it here and there and almost shot it on more than one occasion, but ultimately wasn't able to bag and tag it. 
And this takes a toll on poor old Captain Duhamel because uh, he's getting bloody sick of trying. He'd fought in the Seven Years' War. He wanted to reclaim the honour that he'd felt he'd lost during you know, fighting or during the French defeat. And, uh, you know, he, he saw the, the, the tracking and the killing of the Beast of Gévaudan as a way for him to, uh, to retrieve, to, to reclaim that lost honour. But uh, I guess at the end of the day, he ended up getting uh, outfoxed or rather outwolfed. Oh, thank you. Uh, after after uh, after the king, however, heard of Duhamel's failure, like he hadn't made any progress really. Again, a couple of sightings, a couple of shots here and there. was wasn't good enough for King Louis the Fifteenth, and so he took a different tack. And that tack involved giving poor old Duhamel the ass. He he he, uh, he fired him. Uh, he said, you know, you'll have to go and reclaim your lost honor somewhere else, old son. And he decided on a more surgical approach. He decided a more surgical approach. One, one, one with a little more expertise, a little more finesse was required. And so as a result, he hired Jean-Charles Marc-Antoine Vaumesle de Enneval, a famous wolf hunter, and his son, Jean-Francois. Jean? Jean-Francois? I don't know. The French language is so difficult. The letters all do different things at different times. I mean, I know that's true of English as well, but I mean, you're supposed to leave off the last letter of the word in some cases, except it's a vowel or something. Look, I don't know. I'm very sorry to all the Francophone listeners out there. I know there's a lot of people in Belgium who listen in. I hope they're all Flemish because, uh, you know, they'll probably be a lot more forgiving. Although they all probably speak French as well, don't they? Perfectly. Oh, bloody hell. All right. Okay. Never mind. All right. To all the French, the Belgians, all the rest of the, French, the French-speaking uh, the French-speaking listeners, a-, a thousand apologies. G. Suisse, tres désolé. My friends. Anyway, so this bloke, Denival, right? Uh, he, uh, he, and the king sends him and his son off to uh, to the, the sorry, the wolf hunter's son, not his own son. Uh, the the king's son was busy doing. Well, actually, he wasn't busy. He wasn't very busy doing a whole lot, to be honest. I, I, I looked up this bloke. He was uh, he was also called Louis the Dauphin, and uh, he didn't do a whole lot that was very interesting. Well, actually, depending on how you look at it, he did a whole lot that was very interesting historically, but. You know, from his life perspective, he probably did a lot that was very interesting because he had 13 kids, three of which went on to be the kings of France. So obviously he was, you know, too busy chasing tail to go off bloody chasing wolves. Anyway, Denival and his son, they cruised down to Gévaudan on the king's orders to take care of this beast. And they immediately went about it in a very different way to Duhamel. So Duhamel, he'd been clomping about very noisily with his soldiers, his trackers, whatever else they're like that. Whereas Denival, he brought eight bloodhounds that had been specially trained to hunt wolves. And he had stalked through the forest, all stealthy and all quiet. Now, Denival and his son, they tracked wolf packs through the forests for months. These guys were experts. He'd killed, uh, the story goes that Denival had killed thousands of wolves before he'd been given this assignment. Pe- people's confidence in him was very high to begin with. But unfortunately, just like Duhamel before him, didn't have a lot of success. Didn't have a lot of success and, and, and slowly but surely, or you know, maybe not even slowly, fell out of favour with the local populace as the, as, the, as the attacks continued. They found plenty of wolves but they didn't find have any luck finding the beast itself. And all the while, again, right, while Denis Dandeval is, uh, you know, cutting about trying to find and kill this beast, it's still attacking towns and villages anywhere. Despite Denis and his son hunting it for months, they had about as much luck as, De- as Duhamel in the end, and confidence in them finally collapsed on the 24th of May in 1765. And this is when a town fair was held in a local town uh, in somewhere in Gévaudan. And the beast, it was during this uh, this town fair, that the beast attacked a 20-year-old woman, Marguerite Martin, uh, in the morning. And then a few hours later, attacked an 11-year-old kid before being driven off uh, by the townsfolk. And shortly after this, it attacked again, all on the same day, two 13-year-olds as they wandered, uh, they were wandering through a copse little forest there, uh, and killed one of the uh, killed one of the, the 13-year-olds, Marie Vallée, um, as the other fled off to get help. But by the time the villagers had arrived back at the scene of the attack, all they found was a grisly, half-eaten corpse. Now, Denival was summoned. 
He was told of these brutal attacks, and so he lay in wait. He set an ambush, hoping that the beast would come back to the site of the attack where he obviously, you know, the, 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 the wolf hunter would be able to strike. But uh, this proved to be an embarrassing failure because instead of coming back to where the uh, the original one of the original attacks had been taken place, the beast then went to the next town over and attacked another person, an 18-year-old woman, Margaret Boney. And there it was fought off by a 16-year-old kid called Pierre Tanaval, whose aunt had been killed in the uh, killed by the beast earlier in the year. So he you know he had the red hot fury of uh, of revenge in his eyes as he fought off the beast. Um, and, and, and because of this, because of Denneval's performance, he'd done approximately bugger all about the attacks that day and generally had not had a very good string of luck uh, beforehand. News of this last attack, it caused the town fair to come to an end, uh, an, an abrupt halt. People heard, you know, this is what, five people in, in, in one day have been attacked. So people pack up, they flee they flee back to their homes and Denneval is looking there, you know, he's got egg dripping off his face, having a terrible time because he's done, as I say, approximately bugger all about this whole situation. Look, wasn't really his fault that the beast went on a killing spree, but poor old Denneval, he caught it all the same. He was uh, he was in big, big trouble there. After hearing of what had happened, King Louis XV once again decided was enough was enough. And this time, just like with Duhamel, King Louis XV gave Denneval the arse and, uh, and, and Denneval was forced to head back home to Normandy with his head hung in shame. Apparently, once he got back, this is pretty good, he, once he got back, he was mocked relentlessly for his failure in Gévaudan and he was described by some of the townsfolk there as a fox who had been caught by a chicken, which is, uh, which is a pretty good line i think i do i did enjoy that one anyway ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hoping that the third time would be the charm here, King Louis XV, he sent in his personal lieutenant of the hunt, a bloke whose name was Francois Antoine here. So Antoine, he arrived in Gévaudan in late June. We're still in uh, uh, 1765 here. And immediately got to work hunting down the beast. He gathered parties of huntsmen from local nobles. He investigated some of the sites of recent attacks and went off on these great big hunts once again uh, on the king's authority, again, supported by these local nobles. And I would say some of the farmers, some of the local townspeople as well, who were very, very ready to see this, uh, you know, to usher the beast off this mortal coil. But unfortunately... None of these hunts succeeded, and the attacks continued for another month or so until the 11th of August, when a woman named Marie-Jeanne Vallette was attacked while fording a river in the countryside with her sister. Now, Vallette, she fought off the beast using a bayonet on the end of a staff, which is quite an achievement when you think about the size of the beast here. You know, it's been described as large as a cow, big, big bloody thing it was. And uh, and she's fought it off more or less single-handedly here with uh, with with a bit of a, a homemade spear, and she managed to wound it so badly, right, that it sort of it uh, it it fell back into the river and drifted off there like that and fled and fled away at top speed. 
Now, of course, the uh, the this the news of this attack and the way that Valette had uh, had fought off the beast there, the, these, this got back to the lieutenant of the hunt, and Antoine found out about the attack. He hurried with his huntsmen to where it had happened, and after hearing the story, many huntsmen believed that actually the the wounds that Valette had uh, had, had struck on uh, you know struck unto the beast here that, that inflicted on the beast may have killed it. And so there was much rejoicing, and Valette became a little bit of a hero. Uh, there's, I, I believe, there is a statue in in the, in her in her, her village, the town that she used to live in, that still stands there today. Uh, and, and and again, people very very happy with their innings. They, they, she's done a great job, but unfortunately, they were wrong in believing that that was the end of the beast, because the attacks continued into September, and more and more people fell victim to the ravages of this foul beast here. Antoine was demoralized, and and apparently he was also starting to think about giving up as well. Because again, try what he try what he might, the beast was evading his capture, evading his clutches here, until on the twenty first of September, one of his huntsmen reported a sighting of the beast in a small forest called the Pommier Woods. And apparently, right, this wood it was small, it was small enough, and it was in an advantageous position for the hunters. They were actually going to be able to surround this small forest and start to slowly bear down on it, you know, sort of like a, a net closing in on this, uh, on this, uh, on the beast and, and its pack, right? Big, big, big pack of wolves it was. So, whole big pack of wolves. Antoine gathered his hunting party, hurried to the forest, surrounding it entirely, and they then slowly but surely worked their way in getting ready to flush this pack out from hiding. And as they did so, there's a great uh, there's a great, a great, level of noise, a crashing from the undergrowth, and out charges an enormous wolf, almost two metres long, it, it, attempting to lead the uh, the pack's escape here, charging straight towards the waiting Antoine. Antoine had loaded his gun with five charges of powder, in addition to a ball and a bunch of shrapnel, and apparently once he fired, the recoil from the shot was so strong that he, it knocked him to the ground. He had five times the amount of gunpowder necessary for this shot, and it knocked it. It knocked him on his ass. It also hit the wolf point blank, dead on. It, it stro- the, the shot struck the wolf, but didn't kill it. The wolf got back up to its feet, and once again, this monstrous beast, this enormous animal, tried to bear down on Antoine. Again, going to rip his throat, remove his head, and drink his blood. But then another huntsman, a fellow named Inshard, he fired a shot that scared it off. The giant wolf struggled on for a few minutes, but then collapsed dead into a big pile. The beast had been slain. Now, the rest of the pack, including some other truly enormous wolves, had escaped in the meantime, but Antoine felt confident that he had killed the Beast of Gévaudan and that the attacks would now stop. The corpse of this wolf that he'd shot, enormous it was, as I say, two metres long, it was stuffed and sent back to Versailles as a present for King Louis XV, but Antoine himself, he remained behind because his work was not yet finished. He spent some time tracking down the rest of the pack that had been uh, in the forest and in, in the Pommier Woods, some of which, as I say, were just as huge as the one that he'd shot originally, and he slew them as well. And once he finally did to return to Versailles after after having uh, cleansed the forest of these of these of this bestial menace, he was hailed as a hero once he finally returned to Versailles and uh, and given, as, as you might imagine, a hero's welcome. He was given titles, awards. He was allowed to add a depiction of the beast that he'd slain to his personal coat of arms, and the king also dumped an enormous amount of money about as, about as much money as a normal workman workman would make in a year right so all of a sudden this bloke is rich as all get out however antoine apparently hardly kept any of it himself apparently he just gave most of it to the huntsman that he'd been working with you know, to you know, to track down and hunt down this beast so good on you antoine that's a bit of it. That, that, that's a that is a dead set ripper hero move so well done there mate good on you however as you can imagine 
based on the length of this episode, you know, it's not quite finished yet. The story of the Beast of Gévaudan has not quite come to a close because after Antoine killed this enormous wolf and after it had been presented at, uh, at, the, at the, uh, the, the court of King Louis XV, everyone, you know, to, to, the, to applause and adulation all around, the, the attack stopped for a while. But on the 2nd of December, there was another beast attack. After a couple of months here, the beast that apparently had been slain, it once again struck in Gévaudan. There was another beast attack, this time on two small boys. And although the beast was fought off, the attack was the first of many. The attack started up once again. In fact, there were still attacks for a long time afterwards, all the way through into 1767. The attacks weren't as numerous, sure, but over 30 people were still killed, nonetheless, in the, in the intervening time. Uh, but this time, the king just didn't wasn't interested in helping. He believed that the beast had been slain. He didn't believe that he had much of a responsibility to help. He'd already done his bit like that, and the new cycle had moved on. These, these attacks didn't, uh, they didn't receive as much attention, because, you know, been there, done that. We've already heard about it. Yeah, yeah, beast of Gévaudan, whatever. That, you know, that, that's old news. That's, oh, that's so 1765, that story. We're not covering it here like that. So the locals eventually, they took things into their own hands. They organised hunts and expeditions themselves to deal with this situation. And on June, in June 1767, one such hunt had been put on by the Marquis d'Apchier. And uh, one of the blokes on this hunt is a fella named Jean Chastel, an important fella here, a very, very important fellow. He was a hunter or maybe a farmer or maybe both. Uh, he'd actually worked with uh, with Antoine in the past, uh, although that hadn't gone particularly well for him because he'd been employed as a local guide for the out-of-town hunters, and he'd managed to stuff it up all stuff it up beyond belief, right? Because what he'd done when he was in charge in the task of leading you know leading these uh, you know this small group of hunters about, he accidentally led them straight into a bog. And when when Antoine found out about this, he chucked poor old Chastel in prison just like that, which is a bit of a reaction, you'd think. That's a bit of a reaction, Antoine old son, old son. But that is that is how it went for Chastel. So, oops, shouldn't shouldn't have should have been a little bit more aware of the old bog there, old son. Anyway, Chastel, as I say, he's off on this hunt, and he's a very important figure in it because on the nineteenth of June, seventeen sixty seven, they come across another monstrously large wolf. Now, Chastel, he's in this hunting party, he raises his gun, and much like Antoine had done years ago, he fires at this great big beast. And his aim is true, he shot the wolf dead. On the spot, just like that, it collapsed and died straight away after Chastel shot it. And in doing so, Chastel changed the course of folklore, of superstition, of, of, of just general common belief, right? And caused a new saying to spring into existence as well, one that we still use today. And this is because that Chastel had, like Antoine, filled his gun with powder and shrapnel, or buckshot, you might call it. But he'd made this shrapnel or this buckshot, he'd made it himself. And guess what kind of metal he made the shrapnel from? That's right, you have probably correctly guessed that it was made out of silver. The reason, believe this or not, the reason that everyone knows that you need a silver bullet to kill a werewolf is because this bloke happened to load his gun with silver all those years before. Maybe that was already the superstition at the time. Maybe that was something that, you know, some people knew they're like that. But the fact that he killed this beast with silver and the fact that that eventually became, you know, a reported fact there like that, it caught on like wildfire. And now everyone knows you need to use silver bullet to kill a werewolf. I mean, it's it, more than that as well. I mean, the story caught on to the point that now a silver bullet is a is you know a metaphor for uh, for any sort of easy, straightforward uh, solution to a problem, and all because some French peasant centuries ago shot a wolf. I mean, I re- I re- I just I'm I'm a huge fan of 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 when stuff like this happens. Anyway. 
The corpse of this enormous wolf was also stuffed, except this time it was taken by the Marquis himself, the guy who had put on the hunt. Uh, and uh, after being opened up, actually, while it was, uh, you know, d- during the process, while it was being stuffed, they f- they opened up and found in its stomach it still had the remains of some of its last victims, which is, uh, you know, pretty gross. But that really was the end of the story of the Beast of Gévaudan, as there were no attacks uh, after this from enormous oversized beasts. From this point onwards, there were no more attacks from the Beast of Gévaudan. So... Let's now turn our attention to what the beast actually really was. In telling this story, we've called it. A, we sort of fell into this uh, this sort of lane of, of calling it a giant wolf, as that's what it was portrayed as most of the time, most regularly by the press and whatever else and the people. But it, the rabbit hole goes a little bit deeper than that, because while you know it's probable that it was a wolf, you know there there, there was some very. Uh, inventive journalism that went on back then while covering the whole affair. Uh, some of the best reports uh, involved the beast being some kind of supernatural monster. They were they were, oh, they were the really good ones. In, in some of these reports about the beast, it was said to be able to leap great distances or that had it had bulletproof skin. You know, you could shoot at it and the bullets would just ricochet and bounce off like it was some kind of Superman. Or that it had glowing red eyes with the fires of hell lit within. Or, my favourite one here, that it was able to come back from the dead. And I don't know how they sort of tested this, but that is apparently one of the things that it was uh, reported. One of its abilities there apparently was to be able to, you know, it was a a, a necromantic lupine of some kind. Um, and then there are all the different uh, descriptions of the beast, which again were again pretty pretty imaginative, very creative here. There were there were, there were a lot of different you know descriptions, and they, again they had enough common elements for to to guarantee the whole thing wasn't a big hoax. But some of the witnesses' reports were absolutely wild. I already mentioned the bloke who got so carried away. He said it was as big as an elephant, but even if we put him to the side, there were people who were said who said it was as big as a horse or that it had red fur with a black stripe. You can see some of the pictures that were published at the time. There's a link in the show notes, uh, and you'll see how wildly diverse the, the the depictions of these beasts were. In some of them, it looks like a weird overgrown wolf, and you know maybe it just looks weird because people couldn't draw that well back then. Fair enough. I don't want to come to you know come down too hard on the people who just were bad at drawing wolves. Um, but in one of them, it looks it looks like the beast is some kind of weird cross between a dog, a lion, and a kangaroo. It's an it's an absolutely bizarre drawing. I do recommend you. It's on the public domain review. You can go and have a look at all. The, as I say, link in the show notes. Go and have a look at these pictures. And in another one, right down the bottom of that website, you can see the beast is shown with a spiny, scaly ridge down its back, like some kind of lizard person, and a lion's mane as well. Now. You know, as funny as this is, it is easy enough to understand why the descriptions are so wildly divergent because people didn't necessarily get the best look at the thing that they were very probably running away from at top speed. And the ones that did get a good look at it while being, you know, mauled to death probably weren't in any position to describe it to the press afterwards, which, you know, gives us a little bit of an explanation as to why the the, the descriptions of the, of the beast were all over the shop. And as for its supernatural abilities, it's actually also easy enough to explain why people thought the beast could rise from the dead when you think about it, because the beast of Gévaudan, it wasn't a beast, obviously. It was several beasts. It was several beasts. It was several overgrown wolves that terrorised the area until they were killed or driven out. I mean, that's much more boring, however, you know, much more boring than a necromantic beast with glowing eyes. So the papers are obviously going to go for the better story is going to sell more papers, won't they? But quite seriously... Wolf attacks were a huge problem for people living in this part of the world back then. These, you know, these, these days today, humans are very good at wiping out entire animal populations. Of course, we're bloody excellent at it. Had lots of practice, so just just wiping off, wiping out uh, entire species, right? Of course, but back then, hadn't had as much practice. hadn't weren't quite as good at it as we are these days. And wolves were much more common. And, and and of course, as were attacks by wolves. Tens of thousands of people were killed by wolves throughout the 18th century. 
why or how these particular wolves grew, grew to be so large is a mystery, and it will probably remain a mystery uh, forever. But there are those who disagree with the with the assumption that it was a uh, you know was the beast of Jevonal was several overgrown wolves. In 2016, a biologist by the name of Karl Hans Tucker. He published an article in National Geographic claiming that the Beast of Gévaudan wasn't a wolf or wolves at all, that it was a lion. He pointed to the fact that the beast regularly attacked adults, whereas wolves usually prefer to go after children. He also pointed out that the beast was said to go for the throat of its victims and use claws, things that felines tend to do and canids tend not to do. And then there's the leaping great distances, the red fur, the weird sounds the beast made that weren't like how the howls of a wolf. All of these things are evidence, according to Taka, that the beast was in fact a young lion that hadn't yet grown out its mane. It's not the craziest idea in the world. It is actually, you know, it is, it is plausible. Most people in France wouldn't have seen a lion and so they wouldn't, you know, wouldn't know to describe one as such. They probably would have. The only depictions they would have seen of lions would have probably been on coats of arms, which as you can see by looking at any lion on any coat of arms ever, ever, they just don't look like real lions. So people, you know, may not have been able to describe it as looking like an actual lion there like that. Um, and and even, you know, there were lots of lions in France at the time, comparatively speaking. There were there were lions in, in private menageries, so, you know, one of them could have escaped. Even Duhamel his, himself, the first bloke who was sent off to hunt this, blo- hunt this beast down, he was quoted as having said, this animal is a monster whose father is a lion. It remains open what the mother is. Now, look, we don't know for sure who's right about the Beast of Gévaudan. Most historians tend to believe that it was a wolf rather than a lion or or a pack of wolves, a a group of enormous overgrown wolves rather than a lion. But it's by no means proven. What is certain, however, is that the cultural impact of the Beast of Gévaudan was enormously powerful and its legacy is still obvious today. This is one of the first stories of its kind that was seized upon by an eager mob of journalists going to press or wanting to have the exclusive scoop about the latest horrible murder. And people were fascinated by it, both within and outside France, as the story of the Beast of Gévaudan spread far and wide. So it was one of the first media frenzies that we'd seen of this kind in history, like that report in the way that it was with the burgeoning uh, you know, press industry coming up as it was at this time here, like that. But what's great about it as well is that when once the story was over, quote-unquote finished, they're like that, when Antoine had shot the first wolf, that was that. The people considered the story to be finished. The public consciousness moved on to the next big story. And I, I don't know, I find a little bit of comfort in the thought that Over 250 years ago, people were getting caught up in the never-ending news cycle, impatiently churning through all the sensationalized stories from around the world, just as we do today. You know, there there was a a period where the the Beast of Gévaudan was was front-page news, everyone wanting to read about it, find out what the latest story, the latest gossip was there like that, talking about it, reading these papers, whatever else they're like that. And then it just finished. It just stopped. The, 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 The attention economy, my friends, is not a new thing. It has been around for two and a half centuries or more. Anyway... If nothing else, if nothing else, the Beast of Gévaudan taught us a very important lesson that absolutely everyone knows today. And this is what we can really take away from today's episode of half Fast History. This is the takeaway, my friends. If you want to kill a werewolf, you better make bloody sure that you've got a silver bullet.
But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of the Beast of Gévaudan. I did enjoy reading about it. It was a, it was a lot of contradictory and a lot of uh, a lot of differing accounts. I've tried to synthesise it to give it the most realistic. But I'm very ready to be corrected on any of this sort of stuff in here because, again, none of it is sort of too exact. We're, we're, we're using summation approximation and our best guesses here. We're coming together with this story. So if you've got any feedback, if you've got any comments or any notes you want to send me, please do. The best way to do this, of course, is via the website, halfasshistory.net. You'll find a contact form there and you can email me. It doesn't have to be with feedback or, uh, or notes about this episode. Any of them, of course, I'm always glad to hear from people. Uh, I get so many emails that I'm not really able to reply to them all. I do read every single one of them. If you really want to reply, just email me again. I'll do my best. But it, it's tough keeping up with them all. But thank you to all the people who send in uh, topic ideas, of course, and suggestions for f- future episodes or, 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 or whatever else they're like that. At the website, halfhousehistory.net, you'll also find links to subscribe on iTunes and Android. Thank you to the people who are reviewing the show on iTunes. Apparently, that is of of great algorithmic benefit to the show. So if you want to go and drop a review there, I would appreciate it. It's, uh, it's, uh, you know, you're doing me a big favor there by doing that. Um, and of course, uh, you can find a link to uh, the shop, the Half House History shop, which is offering free shipping on, uh, on, on goods there. You can buy a t-shirt or a magnet or whatever else you want. Um, and uh, finally, of course, I want to mention a special thank you to all the Patreon supporters that I have. People who are chucking me money hand over fist on Patreon uh, every on Patreon every month. I do appreciate it more than I can possibly express. These people get exclusive bonus benefits there like that, and you can too if you sign up today. You get all sorts of cool stuff there like that. Uh, we've got a couple of executive co-producers of the show now who have uh, signed up at the highest tier. They'll be receiving business cards in the mail before very much longer. Don't worry about that. Uh, and if you if you want to join their exalted ranks, of course, patreon.com slash history is the place to do that. Anyway, that's enough of the boring nonsense for this week. We'll be back next week with more half History, of course. Hoping to see you then. Leaving you, with, as usual, with a question posed on Reddit here. We've talked a lot about werewolves, a lot about lycanthropy, and so Dennis971 has a good question for us. If you were to put a werewolf on the moon, would it be a werewolf all the time? deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.